You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast on MMAamerica.com. And now your hosts, Chad Dundas and Ben Folks. That's right. Welcome to the debut episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas. You may know me from my work over at ESPN.com, where I provide, I would say, near-daily MMA writing. Um, If you don't know me from there, I, I don't know what your problem is. Uh, you should get over there and, and check me out because uh, I'm awesome. Um, sitting across the table from me at this time is your other co-host for the Co-Main Event Podcast. I know you know this guy from MMAFighting.com. It's Ben Folks. Ben, how are you today? I'm great. I feel like we're off to a great start here already. Uh, you've insulted our audience. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like that should set the level of expectation for everyone here. Now, uh, right off the top, we should probably make the point that while you work for MMA Fighting and while I work for ESPN.com, um, this show has absolutely nothing to do with either of those websites. Nothing. The opinions, opinions expressed here, they're the, essentially the sole musings of the co-hosts, you and I. I don't, and, uh, I don't even necessarily claim that they're my opinions. I might borrow opinions from other people, bring them onto this show. And the, the listeners should not, under any circumstances, assume that they reflect in any way negatively or otherwise assume um, nothing on any of our various employers don't even think about our opinions in fact we are not being paid to be here no we are sadly not, we are not we are not being compensated in any way you didn't even offer me a glass of water when i came over here nor should we be i guess um it should be pointed out that you and i have no broadcast experience no between the two of us no well no i was on a uh i was on a public access thing for high school football once uh it didn't go well I stand corrected. Um, uh, we should also give a shout out off the top to our man, Brad, Brad Monahan, who is essentially, I guess the, you could say the pro bono webmaster for the co-main event podcast, basically because he's agreed to host the show at uh, MMAamerica.com uh, solely out of the goodness of his heart because he likes MMA and because he wants to help out his friends um, and because he made us promise that we would cut him in when the show makes us incredibly wealthy which I think we are both expecting to happen any time yeah, now. I don't think that I don't feel like that promise is legally binding though. No, I agreed to it immediately because A, I don't think it'll happen and and B not legally binding. Basically Brad Monahan made some tactical errors here in getting involved <laughs> in this project. Not his first tactical errors for certain. Uh, if you're listening to us right now, that means that A, congratulations, because that means that we actually figured out how to get this thing on the internet. Um, B uh, you might you must be what they call in the commerce in the industry of commerce early adapters because you are <laughs> you are good. jumping on the next hot trend in MMA on the ground floor and you are going to ride that elevator all the way to the penthouse until you complain that we have sold out and abandoned our original mission which we will totally do uh, you also may be wondering exactly how this is going to work. Um, if yeah, let's, that, if let's that's lay out the some case, rules here. If that's the case, you're in luck. Yeah. Um, ben, maybe you, you can uh, talk a little bit. What are your uh, What are your hopes and dreams for the co-main event MMA podcast? Well, you know, I when we were talking about it, I feel like there's a lot of MMA podcasts out there. Most of them unlistenable, including this one already. Uh, and I feel like uh, we should just get some things straight right off the bat and let people know that uh, we're not going to do the usual stuff. And we have a couple, a few, five exact uh, solemn vows that we make to you, our our listener, whether you like it or not. Solemn vow number one is that we're going to do this every week, we hope. More or less. 
more or less, less every, every week. Every weekish. Every weekish. Man, it's already undermining the the term solemn vow. <laughs> but all right, uh, number two, no interviews ever. You will never learn anything from the mouth of a fighter or a promoter or a manager. We're just not gonna we're not gonna talk to anybody except each other. Now this this was your vow. You brought this up, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it. What? Maybe you can let us in a little bit on what the thinking was behind this. Uh, why, why is it just a scheduling issue? You don't want to. Uh... <laughs> well, one, yeah, no, I don't know if we even have the technology to do something like that. Good I'm point. told that technology exists. I don't believe it. Uh, but second of all, you know, we do enough interviews in our, our regular paying jobs. And it's one thing you, you, when you talk about a fighter, but then when you bring a fighter on, you interview them, everybody acts totally differently, and the whole thing turns totally differently. Uh, you know, there's enough fighter interview, radio show, podcast, video show stuff out there. If that's what you're after, you know, go with God. You'll 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 find it. I feel confident that you'll you'll get plenty of interviews. We're just not going to do it. We're we're not going to bullshit with any interviews. Period. Essentially. Just two guys talking. Just two guys talking and a cat sitting in an empty chair next to them. Two guys at my house in my dining room chopping it up. Yeah, exactly. Smoking and joking, hanging and banging. Uh, Solemn vow number three. uh, These podcasts will only be one hour in length, if that. Or as it says in the notes that I scribbled down five minutes before you got here, this shit only going to be an hour. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's exactly what it says. An hour. Uh, And... We will probably screw that up at some point, but not by much. I mean, we might go an hour three or something if one of us really gets going. But, you know, we're not going to do the thing that some other people who shall remain nameless have been known to do where they say, hey, welcome to the something something hour. And then it lasts three hours. We're not going to do that. It's false advertising. Um, Solemn vow number four. This one's important. We will never, ever, in the interest of either decency or good taste, censor ourselves. That's true. When we, you can take this, I suppose, as a disclaimer and a warning that there's probably going to be some adult themes. We might say words like "fuck." Well, there you go. You just did. Um, there's gonna shit. Be, there's gonna be, okay. That's enough. Yeah, poop. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, there's gonna be some swearing, as you can see. Some adult themes. Um, solemn vow number five. We will do as little talking about top ten rankings. As possible, we will do as little fight picking, as few fight picks as we possibly can. I assume that we will break that vow almost immediately. Yeah, I mean, we're going to make some fight picks and argue with each other over them. But here's the thing. We're not going to do the stuff where we take it super seriously because, A, no one ever knows how this shit is going to turn out. That's one of the things that we all like about it. And, B, there's nothing more annoying than somebody who after the fight wants to tell you what a genius they were before the fight. Everybody gets some fight picks wrong. We're just, people express opinions, whatever. It's fun. It's fun to argue about. Same things if you want to argue about who's the best and what weight class and who would be the best if you shrank everybody down to 145 pounds or, you know, somehow put them in some kind of gigantor array that increased everybody to Brock Lesnar's size. Maybe Jose Aldo would be the greatest. I don't know. I hate stuff like that. I hate that, that pound for pound ranking stuff. It's stupid. You know, we can say whatever we want about who's the best, but it's it's a pointless bullshit conversation to have, and we should not waste any more time than necessary on it. So that's the blueprint. That's what we're going to do week in and week out, we hope. Week-ish out, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, we, we've gone on with our introduction probably about as long as we should. This We, we should explain before we start that our podcast today will be uh, split up into three rounds. That we've got a lot to talk about. 
Um, and we might as well get started with it. So I would say that round one begins now. Round one. Here we go. Chad, on Monday, the Nevada State Athletic Commission met to discuss the fates of both Chael Sonnen and Nick Diaz. Uh, Chael Sonnen, as you know, was there to uh, apply for a therapeutic use exemption to allow him to use testosterone leading up to his fight with Anderson Silva on July 7th. Uh, Nick Diaz there, uh, still that lingering issue over his positive drug test for marijuana metabolites after his fight with Carlos Condit, trying to figure out his situation. Now, the commission ruled pretty quickly to, to give Chael Sonnen his therapeutic use exemption, let him shoot that testosterone a couple times a week as long as he stays in the levels, test him on fight night, test him the morning after the fight, boom, in and out of there in a little over half an hour. Nick Diaz's case goes on for three hours, argues all kinds of points, and in the end, they give him a, a longer suspension than Alistair Overeem got for testosterone uh, and fine him 30% of his purse is is it me or is that insane? I know that there's been a lot of furor over it. Furor, yes. The past couple of days. Um, I guess you could say that Chael Sonnen and uh, Nick Diaz appeared in front of the Nevada State Athletic Commission with varying degrees of success. <laughs> you could say that. Uh, what's your question for me? Is it hypocrisy? Is that what, is that what the... I, well, obviously they're both there for, for not only different substances, but different kinds of, of hearings where Chael Sonnen is there saying, hey... Can I have permission to use this? Here's all my doctor's notes. Whereas Nick Diaz has already been caught using it and is there both trying to claim that you can't really prove that I used it, even though I did and we all know it, and also I should be allowed to. Uh, so they're, they're very different kind of things. However, since they happen on the same day in front of the same commission, and it seems like we live in some kind of bizarre world. Testosterone, totally a performance-enhancing substance. Everybody knows it. Uh, you know, try and get a therapeutic use exemption in the Olympics. Good luck. You know, but hey, 40 minutes in and out. Chael Sonnen, no problem. Nick Diaz, meanwhile, maybe because he tried to challenge the commission too much on what constitutes a positive marijuana test and what doesn't, all that other stuff, just gets the smack laid down on him harder than Alistair Overeem did for, for using testosterone. I mean, that just seems like some kind of crazy, bizarro world to me. Right. I agree with you. I think in a moral, from a moral aspect, I agree with Nick Diaz's case that I don't think either of the guys sitting in this room right now would would, uh, would argue with the idea that that marijuana should probably be decriminalized. Put it on a ballot, yes. I would vote for it. Um, we we both live in a state where medical marijuana is still currently legal. I think that that's a good idea. We could argue for an hour on whether or not the powers that be here in the state of Montana did that in the proper way. Uh, and because they screwed it up so bad, it seems like they're just going to go ahead and make it illegal again. Right. When I mean, in fairness, Montana did, the citizens of Montana immediately abused it, um, which, hey, I mean, I, not that I necessarily blame them for that, but it, did get, it got ridiculous in a hurry. Right. But I think we could agree on general principle that probably, that med that marijuana can be used medicinally and that, that some people need it, some people are better off from it. Uh, and so I agree with with all of that sort of moral grandstanding part of the Nick Diaz defense. The part of it that I'm not sure that I can agree with or find in my heart to like cut him any slack is the fact that, dude, you're a professional fighter. <laughs> Whoever told you that you could smoke weed one week before your fight and then show up and take a drug test and everything would be fine should probably be fired. Like that person, even if it was your attorney who seems to at least when he's while he's being paid, 
believe that that is the case. Whoever told you that doesn't shouldn't be in your entourage. Okay, and that's true. And it's a fair point and one that you could definitely make the case that Nick Diaz of all people should have learned this by now. He had that win over Gomi overturned. He pretty much was a little too honest with the Nevada State Athletic Commission telling him that he started smoking again immediately after getting home. Uh, and he's, you know, he's talked in the press about how he smokes weed throughout his training camp and how he has a what he feels like is a pretty proven system to be able to beat the tests. Everybody has known that he's doing this for a long time, and now he gets caught for it, and now suddenly, you know, he wants to put the whole system on trial. Yeah, and let's be honest. Like, if you essentially make it known that you are thinking about suing the Nevada State Athletic Commission when you show up for your hearing, shit probably ain't going to go your way. Yeah. Like, that's just the bottom line. Fair enough. At the same time, though, it does seem like, it seems to me watching uh where Nick Diaz's legal team, a phrase that still feels odd even just to utter, uh, they made some some fairly salient points about how do you know, how with marijuana, something that stays in your system for a while and can stay in your system to varying degrees, it's tough to tell if he is under the influence of it, if he is benefiting in any way from having it in his system. Just because the guy has it in his system, does that count as using it in competition? It, I mean, there are a lot of gray area stuff there, but and it seemed like the Nevada State Athletic Commission, instead of addressing that, and, and instead of even entertaining the questions that that brought up, just said, screw it, you know, this guy's guilty, he, we, he's got the marijuana in there, you know, we're not going to go through our own, take a, take a fine-tooth comb and go through our own policies to see if they're right. That again, to me yeah, seems a little no, insane. Again, I think I think that morally you're probably right about that. I think that it's also extremely disingenuous to p- try to present it as though that's what Nick Diaz was thinking when he smoked all of this marijuana. Say, so, well, I mean, okay, but well then we go to Chael Sonnen, who makes his argument that he should be allowed to use testosterone. They get a doctor on the phone who, worth noting, uh, you look this doctor up on the internet, says he's in sports medicine and orthopedic surgery, not an endocrinologist. So... I don't know why that's the guy we go to if we want to know why, you know, if Chael Sonnen's application for uh, therapeutic use exemption for testosterone is legitimate. I would think we'd want to get an endocrinologist in there. It just makes sense. And the Nevada State Athletic Commission, and that their long uh, sermon about testosterone beforehand, seemed to say, hey, we should probably get, get in touch with a, uh, a urologist and an endocrinologist. Yeah, I mean, you probably should, especially if you're going to decide that. But no, they rolled right into it. Then they, they decided, okay, Chael Sonnen's paperwork is in order. Where it looked like he's going to get caught up is when they say, you started using this in 2008, you fought in Nevada a few times since then, never mentioned it on any any medical questionnaire. His loophole there, much like Nick Diaz tried to uh, fit into some some loopholes, is to say, well, Matt Lindland told me not to. And I took Matt Lindland's word, so basically Matt Lindland screwed me, I should not be held responsible. And they bought it. They, they completely, that's a good enough explanation. Steered wrong by Matt Lindland is apparently a defense that works. It, I mean, do you... Do you think that, that it should be that easy? He should say, Matt Lillman told me this, I believed him, therefore don't blame me? No, man. I think that if you're a fighter, that hiding behind your manager should is, is not really a valid defense. Um, in a perfect world, I guess you would say that, that the fighter, in this case Chael Sonnen, is liable for everything that the manager does, in this case Matt Lillman. Um And, you know, the, I think the interesting parallel between both these cases is that both guys essentially – are arguing that there is a medical reason for them ingesting these substances. Um, 
and and maybe you know that that might play especially in the case of trail sonen that might weigh a little bit heavily on the mind of the commission because you and i can sit here and say that we think that these 30 25 to 35 year old guys that get testosterone replacement therapy and and have testosterone use exemptions are cheating um in the eyes of the commission in terms of kind of covering their own ass they might have to think about it a little bit more deeply than that just because if a guy can contend and even prove or at least make it appear as though he has a legitimate medical condition, then I would think to say that he can't use the, the testosterone would open them up to, uh, to lawsuits or, you know, potential legal action from the fighter. I don't know if it would ever come to that, but I think that, that, you know, that has to be taken into consideration because probably at the end of the day, the commission's number one, uh, number one want or number one desire is to protect itself from any sort of like legal retribution. Well, and you know, that's the thing I, I've talked to Chael Sonnen about it, and I don't necessarily blame Chael Sonnen. I don't think that Chael Sonnen is trying to cheat. I think he is trying to get something that he believes he, he ought to be able to get under the existing rules. I, I mean, I think fighters will all look for every advantage that they can get without breaking the rules. And it's totally fair. It is fair for him to try and do that. And I get the sense that Chael Sonnen legitimately believes that that he has a real medical need for this that some other people might be abusing it but he is not i i'm you know I, i'm tempted to believe that i don't know i haven't seen all his his paperwork and heard from an endocrinologist about it i think the fault though lies with the nevada state athletic commission here we are we, you you know this is an issue you know that guys are, are trying to to figure this stuff out how that who can get testosterone and who can't why don't you have more of a a testing protocol than just well all right we'll send your paperwork over to this orthopedic surgeon and he'll call in and let us know what he thinks that to me i mean that's not a thorough uh process for figuring this stuff out it seems like they're resisting putting a real process in place for as long as they possibly can that seems to be the insane part to me yeah and especially when uh the last time they had chael sonan in front of their body after uh the first anderson silva fight several of the commissioners well that was california oh in california they acknowledged hey this is going to be a problem we should probably figure this out but then they didn't figure it out then and still you know to the best of my knowledge have not come up with a a more cohesive plan it seems like none of the states really want to step up there and be first i mean when it comes to mma at least and and licensing everybody looks to nevada nevada you know kind of sets those standards and other states you'll hear them say hey we follow the same uh, guidelines as Nevada does, as if you know Nevada is the one that's got to get get out there in front of this stuff and come up with something. And I think that they do. I, I just think that either they don't have the resources or they don't want to be the ones to jump out in front of it, and so they kind of want to make some of this stuff go away. They don't want to deal with it. Uh, and I, I mean, we've got to decide: either guys can can use testosterone, or we do away with therapeutic use exemptions altogether. I'd rather see it be the latter, just because I think it's too easily abused. Guys, I mean, you can get your own testosterone levels to fluctuate if you want to you know either we got to adopt the system that the olympics uses where you know there's only a few endocrinologists in the world that are qualified to tell us if you deserve one or not and they do really rigorous testing before you get it or we shouldn't do it at all but then if you do that what what is the outcome for the guy who actually needs it and i guess as a, as a, uh, a, a another question a related question do you think that there are 25 to 35 year old or even 40 year old professional mixed martial arts fighters that might need might legitimately need testosterone replacement therapy. I think the question there is what do you mean when you say need? What do you mean? I mean that they 
they can prove that their testosterone levels are lower than normal. I mean, part of the problem is, A, you can't figure out why their testosterone levels are lower than normal necessarily. Is it because they abuse steroids? Is it because it's just a natural phenomenon? Their body just doesn't produce it? Whatever. I think the whole idea here is that you fight with the hormones and the body that you have. Not the one that you want. Otherwise, why don't we just set one testosterone level and we'll make everybody meet it. We'll bring other people's testosterone down if it's too high naturally. We'll bring everybody else's up and everybody will fight at that one testosterone level. I mean, that's just not really feasible. So, therefore, you're giving some guys permission to, to use it. And who knows, you know, it's a matter of if their testosterone levels are high when they get tested. Not necessarily, you know they could be using it to get an advantage during a training camp. They heal faster. They can go harder in training, that kind of stuff. Testosterone, They the reason that a lot of people like using testosterone as a performance answer is it gets out of the body quickly. I just think there's too many problems with it. And Chael Sonnen was fighting for a living before he used testosterone, so it's not like, you know, he, he would die in the cage if he couldn't have it. He, he was doing okay before. So I, I don't know. The word need is, is a tricky one in that situation. Right. Um and and I think that I think that you're right. It's just, we all <laughs> yes. It's, it's easy you hear to that cat? it's easy to indict these guys, you know, as cheaters. And and I was all for it. I you know fairly recently I asked a, a physiologist um, from the university here. Just you know we, we were just chatting, and I I told him about all these fighters using testosterone, and asked him what he thought about it and whether or not it was bullshit. And he essentially said. It probably is, but at the same time, he had done a study on cyclists that showed um, that when guys are doing really, really high-volume cardio training while at the same time trying to keep their weight down, that that does, in fact, affect their hormone levels and that one of the, the levels that, that can be affected is testosterone. So while I think that we can probably agree that that the average MMA fighter doesn't need a testosterone use exemption. I don't think that everyone out there across the board should be so quick to um, discount the idea that perhaps something that these guys are doing in training or what have you is causing a condition where their hormone levels are a little bit low. Now, does that mean that they need to have medical intervention? Does that mean that that's just it's a tough shit type situation and they should just, you know, fight with that low testosterone? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. I'm just saying I think it's a uh, I think it's a more complicated issue than than the discourse out there on the internets would have you believe. That's true. And by the way, for those of you looking for it, uh, Tough Shit Type Situation is the name of Chad Dundas's hard-boiled detective novel uh, due out from HarperCollins this fall. Yeah, uh, should we move on? I think, it's the name of my memoir. <laughs> I think we, we might be in danger of breaking one of our solemn vows already. Uh, perhaps we should move on to round two. Coming up in round two, UFC 146, the all-heavyweight extravaganza. That starts right now. Round two. It'll be a supersized affair this weekend, Saturday night in Las Vegas, UFC 146. All of the fights on the main card, the pay-per-view card, are going to be 265-pound heavyweight fights, uh, headlined by Junior Dos Santos, defending his heavyweight title against replacement opponent Frank Mir. Um, Cain Velasquez is also on the card. Roy Nelson, uh, Stipe Miocic. I think I might have said that correctly. Miocic, yeah. Miocic. Um, Stefan Struve, LeVar Johnson. It's a grab bag of heavyweight action. Um, And it seems to me it might be a a sort of a feast or famine type situation because I think as everybody knows, there's no 
worse thing in MMA than a bad heavyweight fight. And we have one, two, three, four, five, five heavyweight fights coming our way this weekend on pay-per-view television for the price of what? $54. Is that how much it is for the, something like for that. the yeah. HD? And you got to get the HD. Bro- you got to get the HD broadcast. What are we, Neanderthals? So my question, Ben, to open up round two for you Good idea or bad idea to have an all heavyweight cart for USC one one forty six. I like it. I like the uh, I like a theme card like that. And there's definitely a an instant marketing tool built in there when you say all heavyweight card. Uh, then it's like you know people need to know the top two, and then they don't necessarily need the others. It just sounds kind of cool. All heavyweights, as you said though, I, I would love to see the statistics on. When a heavyweight bout goes out of the first round, uh, if we can measure suckability of the fight after that point. Because heavyweight fights that end in the first round, you know, even if it's not the most technical striking or grappling display, I mean, it's usually, there's some fireworks there, you know. Once you get out of the first round, once you get into those later rounds, sure, you see some late round finishes or even some that go to the distance and are good fights. The suckability quotient goes way up, though, as soon as you hear round two in a heavyweight fight. Would you agree? Yeah, I would say probably, generally speaking, that's the case. I think that the, the flip side of that equation, though, is, you know, what if you shell out 54 bucks for the pay-per-view, there's six fights, and, and you come out with a total of, like, seven minutes of action, which is something that could potentially happen. Yeah, but, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about that. The UFC is pretty good about, you know, picking a couple bouts from the other card, which people might have seen if they turned, tuned into the prelim card on FX or if they watched the Facebook fights. But let's face it, it it's the hardcores who are going to sit there at you know 3 o'clock in the afternoon watching on Facebook. So uh, I think that they're pretty good about finding something to fill that time. It won't just be like, all right, hey, we're done in 35 minutes, go home, you know, uh, I think we're going to be fine in that. And I don't think people necessarily complain. I mean, people whined about the, the Junior Dos Santos, Cain Velasquez fight on Fox because there was, you know, 40 minutes of talking and, you know, two minutes of fighting and then some walkouts, and that was kind of it. But I don't know if people necessarily are feel really bummed out if the fight ends quickly and memorably. Especially if, you, you know, if every fight ends quickly and memorably, then, you know, you still got five exciting finishes out of it. It's not like you need to have the absolute maximum allotted time filled in order for you to feel like you got your money's worth. Sometimes it's just the opposite. No, that's a fact. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the main event. Junior Dos Santos will defend his heavyweight title for the first time since since beating Cain Velasquez for it against Frank Mir. Uh, Originally, it was supposed to be Alistair Overeem, as everybody knows, but Overeem ran into some trouble yeah uh, I guess you could say ended up getting some some testosterone without his knowledge which is weird yeah that seems to happen to a lot of professional athletes and it so rarely happens to regular people one time my young cousin got arrested for uh for marijuana possession oh this is gonna be good at a party and he told his mom afterwards that he didn't know whose weed it was and that somebody must have put it in his pocket and she believed him so I guess that's sort of like this like the blueprint the prototype for the Alistair Overeem (laughs) Uh, testosterone defense some more believable that someone could get weed into your pocket than testosterone into your bloodstream i think maybe although let's say this though that you know maybe alistair overeem is smarter than we give him credit for because it seems like the doctor that he brought to that athletic commission meeting seemed like the kind of guy who might inject you with testosterone (laughs) without telling you like let's let's be honest yeah no i mean sure he injects you a little testosterone some you know religious quality peyote uh and calls it a day you know maybe some skittles in there too ground up and and who knows but yeah like you said alice roverine pulled out of this event now we get frank Mir. your opinion on this is it 
is significantly better or worse than it was before when it was JDS and Overeem? I think it's worse. I think, uh, you know, as much as Alistair Overeem testing positive for testosterone, in my opinion, I think I'm taking kind of a hardline stance on it, which is is unusual for me, I think. Yeah, but usually I, you're, you're a softie. Yeah, usually I'm a real permissive motherfucker. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, Alistair Overeem testing positive for, for testosterone, to me, sort of invalidates his entire heavyweight career. A lot of people online say, oh, you know, especially when comparing him to Nick Diaz, they were saying, well, Diaz screwed up twice, and this was only Overeem's first transgression. In my opinion, it's a transgression that is a lot more meaningful than almost any other positive drug test we've seen in the sport because I think you could argue that if you believe Alistair Overeem is using performance-enhancing drugs, that without performing performance-enhancing drugs, that dude is not a heavyweight. Yeah, he's a two hundred and five. Or he's pound a very small heavyweight. Bean pole light heavyweight for the better part of his career. So for him to gas himself up and suddenly turn into a two hundred and seventy-pound tank, a behemoth, you know, who makes Brock Lesnar look small when they're on stage together, uh, is to me sort of disingenuous. But maybe that's a discussion probably left for another day. Because all that said, I was super excited to watch him fight Junior yeah. Santos. See, that's the thing where I, even I feel like an asshole because my first thought when I heard Overeem had tested positive for high levels of testosterone and was going to be pulled from the bout was, damn it, I really wanted to see that one. Yeah. You know? And then that's when you kind of have to take a step back and realize, like, well, I guess I don't think that Junior Dos Santos should have to fight a guy who we've all suspected was juiced up for years. Uh, that would not be fair or safe for anybody to do. So, yeah, by all means, get him out of there if that's what's going on. But yeah, it is a bummer to lose over him. That felt like you know two you know big time heavyweights at the the peak of their careers coming together. We're gonna find out you know who's for real strike force champion versus the UFC champion. Now you get Frank Mir, who to his credit, you know, seized the opportunity, just jumped up and down with his hand in the air, saying, "Pick me, pick me. I'll get in there and fight him." Now he gets the fight. It feels though like a consolation prize. I don't care how you try and spin it. With okay, he beat. Nogueras, or he beat Nogueira, who's DeSantis' mentor. They got this kind of a rivalry thing. And sure, I mean, come on, you, you fight a Brazilian, there's always 50% of a rivalry. You know, they they take this just a little more seriously than the rest of us. Frank Mir is going to go up there and act like it's an athletic competition and Brazilians are a bunch of nationalists or crazy and that he doesn't he doesn't see it that way. Come on, we all, we all know how, how that stuff goes. So still, it feels to me like plan B, you know, maybe yeah. even plan B minus. Yeah. Um, we know from past history that it is a stone cold proven fact. Tell me about another kind of history other than past history. We know from past history that, uh, it's a stone cold proven fact that the UFC heavyweight championship is cursed. (laughs) Wow. Uh, We're just saying stuff at this point. Yeah. I, I assume no one is still listening to the podcast at this point, but if they are, we have entered the just saying stuff portion of the podcast. We all know that the hardest thing in, in mixed martial arts to do is not win the UFC heavyweight title, but hang on to it without getting hit by an SUV or <laughs> slipping on a bunch of debris in the back and uh, and and hitting your head or getting a, a rare Stricken intestinal diverticulitis. Yeah, getting a rare intestinal disorder that that is life threatening or getting involved in a contentious contract dispute with the UFC or just out and out retiring as soon as you win it. Um, so my question to you would be, does junior dos Santos have a chance against Frank Mir? <laughs> I might understand that the premise of this question is that you assume he doesn't have a chance because he is the title holder, not because he is fighting Frank Mir. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Well, I don't, you know, Unlike you, I, I don't come from a, a family of gypsies. 
who are superstitious about you know every little thing. I don't think that uh, Junior Dos Santos is cursed just because he has a heavyweight belt. I feel it's perfectly. If there's ever going to be a time for somebody to hold on to the heavyweight belt, it's now when you're fighting a guy who gets pulled up from the undercard to come fight you. I think Junior Dos Santos is absolutely a better boxer than Frank Mir. I think he has better power. Frank Mir has kind of a suspect chin. You saw him. He was you know on wobbly legs when he got hit by Noguera. I think Dos Santos poses a significant threat to him there. I still don't know if we know how good Dos Santos' ground game is because no one's ever really been able to test him there for very long. Uh, Frank Mir has, has improved as a wrestler, so the, there's a chance that he can get the fight down to the ground. Um, but, no, I think Dos Santos knocks him out, and I, I don't think that uh, you know just being the title holder is going to be enough to defeat JDS here. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, you're right. Frank Mir did appear to damn near get knocked out by Antonio Rodrigo Noguera in their last fight. And, you know, if not for that few seconds, I would probably feel a lot more confident about, about his, or, you know, a lot more hopeful about his chances against Junior Dos Santos. But given that uh, Shane Carwin couldn't get Dos Santos on the ground, I don't know if Frank Mir stands a, a, a considerably better prospect of doing that and 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 if he doesn't get it to the ground i think it's it's essentially dos santos's fight so well i mean if you want to go to the superstitious route if you want to say uh, you know there are forces beyond our control at work here that that might cause dos santos to lose i would be more inclined to say it's the the superstitious uh feeling that whatever would be worst for the ufc in situations like this somehow tends to happen and Frank Mir becoming your, your heavyweight champion again, I feel like that would kind of be the worst for the UFC. It's, gonna be, it's really hard, I think, to, to sell people on Frank Mir right now. I, I feel like a, it's hard to even get people interested uh, in him as a consolation challenger for the heavyweight title. I don't think as many people are, would be super excited to see a heavyweight title reign from Frank Mir right now, right or wrong. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. And, and it's, not, it's nothing against Frank Mir. He just has that sort of aura about him now as a guy who's been around for so long that we feel like we've seen everything that he has to offer we've probably seen the best that he can be um he's already been the champion and so we don't it's you know maybe it's just more more than anything else we just don't also you look go back and look at i mean the noguera fight that one really memorable that ended with that that arm break uh but then you look at that decision he won over roy nelson where he just basically out wrestled a, a wheezing uh pneumonia-stricken Roy Nelson, as he would have us believe. You know, not a great performance there, not terribly exciting. The one before that, he knocked out Krokop, you know, in the final minute of the fight, but it was a super boring fight up to that point. I mean, that's one that, I, my memory serves, didn't even get the knockout of the night bonus, even though his was, like, the only knockout on, on the card, right? I mean, I think that, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's how impressed the UFC was with that one. So I think that has a little something to do with it. The Guerra fight, that upped his stock a little bit, but you're right, I mean, people feel like, Okay, we we're, we know who Frank Mir is. We've we've been through this before. It doesn't feel like you know new and exciting. Yeah, no, I agree. When you look at the rest of this card, um, what well, what stands out to you as the most interesting thing? I mean, you've got some you've got some fairly interesting fights. Cain Velasquez comes back after losing the title and getting injured. You know, his his first fight. You got Shane Del Rosario making his UFC debut after um, getting hit by a drunk driver and being out with, with his own injury troubles. Uh, Stefan Struve and Lavar Johnson. What 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 to you is the most interesting thing here? You know, I wouldn't discount uh, Roy Nelson and Dave Herman there. I think that's that's one of those fights where it doesn't seem to be at least immediately important for the division. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see the one of those guys that somebody's going to be vaulted right up to the top or that, 
you know, somebody else is necessarily going to be flushed down the toilet immediately if they lose that one. But it looks fun. I mean, that one, if you're going to tell me, like, which is the one that's most likely to deliver some, some excitement, some good times on there, I say that one, you know, both those guys are, are going to be able to take a little bit and give some back. So I think that should be interesting. However, I am really curious to see how Cain Velasquez does. Uh, you know, he, he has done pretty well against the much bigger guys. He could probably follow, you know, his teammate Daniel Cormier's game plan against Antonio Silva and feel like he's going to be okay. But you you wonder about him because of that knockout in Junior Dos Santos. There was a lot of talk of injuries and that maybe he would have pulled out on the, uh, out of that fight if it hadn't been a Fox fight. I want to see how he looks now, what kind of condition he's in now. Because you got to say, if Cain Velasquez goes out there and just runs through Antonio Silva, you know, and, and we do get the sense that he was suffering from injuries before and now he's fine, you got to put him right back in there in that conversation for, you know, the title picture, don't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't... I don't know what else you do with him besides uh, probably promote him back to being the number one contender if he looks incredibly impressive against Bigfoot Silva. Um, for me personally, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing uh, Del Rosario come in. Be, back you know, 10 years ago when they first started the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix, he was, uh, <laughs> he was my pick to win it all because I knew that uh, – that's, that that's nobody a cynical the, pick. I know. Yeah. Well, look how it turned out. <laughs> I knew nobody in the bracket was going to win it. Um, <laughs> and and Del Rosario, I thought had as good a chance as any. Then he got in that that car accident. And they they ended up promoting Cormier in there. Well, uh, I mean, do you think that Del Rosario would have beat Josh Barnett if he had ended up in Daniel Cormier's spot? Unknown. Hard I don't to say, so. man. Hard I don't to think say. He would have. I guess we'll find out this weekend when he takes on Stipe Miocic. <laughs> you, now that you got it, you really just want to abuse that one, don't yeah, you? Yeah. No, I'm gonna. No, I'm right at all. Of the of the Strike Force Grand Prix. Maybe this is just me. I mean, I admit I like the guy as a person. He seems like a really good dude. But I was very impressed with Daniel Cormier's performance. I mean, if he, if a guy who is that good of a wrestler is going to be that good on the feet, what the, what the hell? Yeah. What is anybody supposed to do to that guy? Yeah. No, I was imp- I was actually impressed with both guys. Even though Barnett, you know, kind of got the tar beat out of him uh, after twenty twenty five minutes of it of of fighting like he had a complete disregard for his own face. Uh, he was still out there throwing crisp punching combinations. That's what he do. Still throwing, uh, you know, spinning back fists. Still, oh, we're throwing spinning shit now. Still, uh, very game. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was, I was impressed with both guys, and I agree with you that Cormier pretty much knocked it out of the park. I thought he was going to win. I didn't think he was going to win that impressively. So, uh, well, let's play a little bit of a uh, future matchmaker here. Uh, if uh, let's say Cormier, I know that they're going to have him fight one more. One more fight in strike force is what they right. say. But let's say that, that he's injected immediately into the heavyweight division. You've got a full slate of UFC heavyweights in front of you right now. Who in the division do you think makes sense as the most interesting and likely opponent for Cormier if he's if he comes into the UFC division? Well, right you know, I've heard for the fight that he has to fulfill in strike force, which is a tough one, I think, to figure out just in general. He's talking about, hey, maybe if they get Shane Carwin to come over here, he's a name. He's somebody who would be make an interesting fight. And he's right. People would watch that fight. Uh, and uh, if they can convince Carwin to go over there and do it, I think it's not a, a bad choice. But honestly, I think that, especially if they if they do something like that for his last strike force fight and he wins and wins without breaking his hand and needing to sit out with you know another lengthy surgery, uh, then I, I don't see why you wouldn't have him fight for the title right away. The only thing I think that w- could be a barrier is because he has this you know he has to have surgery on his hand and then he's going to have to have one more fight in strike force and then he can start talking about the UFC right. Uh, what happens if Cain Velasquez wins his fight 
Cain Velasquez gets in that conversation for the title, and in all this time we spend waiting for Cormier, his teammate jumps in there and becomes champion again. Then you'd have to find something else to do with Cormier because those guys aren't going to fight each other. I think those guys are on the record saying that they would fight if it was for the UFC title. Really? I think so. Don't quote me on that. No one's going to hear this, right? No, but no, no one's listening at this point now. <laughs> um, oh, and how about this uh, you know, FX preliminary card here? You've got some, uh, you know, some fairly interesting guys on here. Dan Hardy trying to make a comeback. Same with Jason Mayhem Miller. Anything on there that you'll watch? Or Both those are you fights. Just, are you I, I just think... mad that they're going to preempt Justified? <laughs> well, I'm always mad about that. That's, there's no excuse for that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm really excited to see especially mayhem because I feel like that's one where when he fought Bisping, he looked, you know, like a, a piss poor version of the mayhem we're used to seeing. Mm -hmm. So I am interested to see if that was just kind of a one-time fluke thing. He got a little overwhelmed at the moment. He wasn't quite prepared for it. He'd been out a while. Uh, he knows his back is against the wall here and that he's got to show something much, much better and go out there and beat CB Dalloway. And I think as he said before, if he can't beat CB Dalloway, what's he doing in the UFC? Uh, you know, no offense to CB Dalloway there, even though I don't oh, see how you taken, would not, I'm sure. would not take I'm offense sure, to that. Taken. But, uh, you know, that's those kind of stakes always make the fight interesting. Mayhem's a really interesting guy. I, I always enjoy when he's around. You know, he's one of those guys I feel like uh, the media like him so much because he's a smart guy and an interesting guy and a fun guy that we maybe want him to be a better fighter than he is. I don't know. It, it should be interesting to see how that one goes. Same thing with Dan Hardy. You know, he... He can't get any more second chances. I mean, I think it would be like fifth or sixth chance. Or, you know, he, he can't get any more after this one. If he, can't, if he can't win this one, he's in serious trouble. So right there, those two fights, you know, kind of have that similar thing going on. Uh, I don't see how you can not be interested in that. And some part of you rooting for that guy. Not a great week for the UFC light heavyweight champion, John Jones. Oh, here we, are we going to round three? We're going to talk about his misfortunes in round three, which starts right now. Round three. John Jones smashed up his ride this week. Uh, according to the police report, he was out tooling around in his Bentley at, at five in the morning. Five in the morning. Yeah. Go, going to the store, I assume. Yeah. You know. Getting uh, an early workout in, I assume. Met up in an unfortunate manner with a roadside uh, light pole or, or telephone pole, something of that nature. Um, ben, John Jones, total fake or... No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> w what do you make of this? Uh, you know, Jones obviously is a guy who kind of prides himself on his squeaky clean image, both for better and for worse, I think, in terms of relating to the hardcore fan base. Uh, but, but, you know, then for him to go out and and smash up the Bentley that the UFC gave him as sort of like a, hey... You're our guy, present. Um, yeah. Not great. What, what do you What do you think of this? No, it is never good when you smash up a Bentley. It doesn't matter how you acquired that Bentley. It doesn't matter what people thought of you beforehand. Bentley smashing equals bad. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It does kind of. It, it hits. I think a lot of people took this glee when they heard that happened to John Jones. You know, because of that that squeaky clean image that he has worked very hard to cultivate. It's that weird thing though about like the very notion of image suggests that it's not totally genuine. Like when we start talking about image in general, we're talking about something that somebody has crafted. We're not, you know, there's, and the thing is people forget that John Jones is like, what is he, 24 years old? I mean, I'm not saying that that means, Hey, smash up all the Bentleys you want, but 
let's be honest. A lot of us, if we were famous pro athletes at 24 years old with a bunch of money and a Bentley to ride around in, would get ourselves in some serious shit in a hurry. Fact, yeah. No, and, and the reason that I made that joke about whether or not uh, Jones is a total faker is that it does seem like a significant portion of the fan base just loves to see bad things happen to this guy. And, that, and, and he seems to, for being, I would argue the best pound-for-pound pound fighter oh, on the planet. Oh, shit. Here we go with this pound-for-pound <laughs> pound bullshit. You know, for being for being certainly one of the best, maybe the most dominant f- force in MMA right now, he is, seems to be to inspire just an awful lot of distaste and dislike and hatred, I guess he would say, since he refers to them as the haters, uh, amongst the fan base. And so, yeah, for him to go out and crash up his car at 5 in the morning, I think just gives them just gives them more uh, fodder for for ridicule and for disliking the guy. But, you know, I I don't fully understand it. I think that on one hand, I see why people, you know, some of the problems people have with him, because I think that from the top down, MMA has always been a sport that kind of prides itself on on accessibility and sort of like the raw reality of things. You know, know, when the president of the biggest company in the world is on Twitter constantly telling guys to fuck off and, and whatnot, it creates a certain vibe of being like, you know, the fans come to think that 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 they have all this access to the fighters and what they get is 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 the real deal and guys aren't PC and they're not they don't filter themselves. So for a guy who who clearly has higher business aspirations like John Jones to come around and, and to sort of seem maybe at times overly poised and at times sort of too good to be true. I understand why people wouldn't like him. At the same time though, I mean the guy's an amazing fighter and I, I don't think you can really fault him for being, you know, nice. I don't Well yeah, and you know, I feel like there's this thing where people when they look at fighters people in the public eye they want them to be one easily identifiable thing, and that's just not how it is with human beings. I mean, people are quick to point out the hypocrisy. At, you know, Jones is always on about some some Christian stuff, and you know how religious and, and what a family man he is, and then he's out there drinking. Well, that's true of a lot of Christian people. I mean, you know, John Jones likes likes a drink every now and then. I've I've, I've seen it with my own eyes. Uh, I think when I first went met John Jones, went out there to uh, to Ithaca to do a magazine story on him. Uh, he had been out with his teammate celebrating somebody's birthday all night the night before uh, and was kind of wore down from it. But then at the same time, I'm thinking, like, 21 at the time. I've been there. I've been there at 31. I mean, shit, that kind of stuff does not bother me. And it doesn't bother me to think that, like, you know, the guy might be presenting this image some of the time and then in private might be someone else. I don't necessarily think that that is it's like this unforgivable sin. It is a little weird how people are quick to jump on him, but it also weirded me out when he posted the Facebook statement that at least we're told is his, really his Facebook statement where he calls it literally sickening to have so many people try to kick me while I'm down. I mean, the thing is, you can't go out there, crash up your Bentley. I mean... I, I will say I've had a situation before where I would have been considered legally too drunk to drive, uh, you know, and, and have driven home. However, I've never been in a situation where I was so drunk that I was veering off the road and, and hitting a light pole. That's especially if you have people in the car, you know, that's that's dangerous to everyone around you. That's a serious situation. That's not a thing where you can just say, uh, look at these assholes trying to take glee in my misfortune. I mean, you, you fucked up there. You fucked up. Okay. Uh, let me let me ask an unfair question. Okay. Let's talk about an unfair topic here. Just two guys talking in a, in my dining room. Just two guys sitting next to a cat talking, pretending people are listening. When you went to do that story on John Jones for Fight Magazine a few years ago now, correct me if I'm wrong, 
but Jones's license was suspended. He <laughs> said license. for speeding, correct? His, you know, his li- the thing was about that story. I was supposed to meet him in Montreal at the TriStar Gym, where he was going to go up, and we, had, you know, I was very clear about okay, get him now. Okay, it'll be good. I'll go to Montreal. We'll do the story there. I got to Montreal uh, and asked the TriStar Gym guys, "When do you expect John Jones?" They said, "Yeah, we don't think he's coming." So then I talked to John Jones, and he was like, "Well, I realized." My license was suspended, and my girlfriend's license was suspended, so we could not drive across the border. Uh, and so they they just decided not to go. When, when he planned on telling me, that's another issue. Uh, I had to then rent a car and drive to Ithaca, which when you come from one border state, go to Montreal, rent a car, and then try to cross back into the United States at a different border state, that's pretty much when the border control just says, like, okay, just get out of the car. We're not even going to have a conversation about it. We're just going to try and figure out which kind of criminal you are because obviously you are some type. Um, and yeah, he had been, his license had been suspended for speeding and not paying speeding tickets. And I think it was the same kind of thing for his girlfriend. And it sounded like he was also arrested in uh, New Mexico for driving while under a suspended license. So he might have some driving related woes, you know, but that's a completely different realm of driving on a suspended license because you didn't pay speeding tickets. I mean, you know, I've had my phone shut off because I didn't pay the phone bill even though I had the, the money to do it. That's just kind of like oversight stuff. Drunk driving, hitting a pole while you got a bunch of people in the car, different situation. Sure. Uh, and I would say as an aside, you want to know why we're not going to have fighters on the podcast? Because sometimes you go to Montreal and it turns out <laughs> they didn't even leave New York and they didn't bother to tell you. Okay. So unfair. My unfair question was going to be... you. Kind Ready, but uh, guy has his license suspended the first time you go out there to see him. Uh, there was the high-profile situation where he crashed up his fake Bentley. His cr- he crashed up his Chrysler 300 uh, last year, right? <laughs> That's and a put fake it on, Bentley. Okay. Put it on. Uh, put it on Twitter and was clear to was sure to say that it wasn't his fault. Um, we had the report that he had some kind of traffic ticket dismissed in New Mexico last year. Some kind of driving disorderly driving that's not a thing it sounded like it sounded like drifting to me yeah what I heard. he's like, probably drifting and now we have this alleged uh you know arrested under the suspicion of dui at what point do you, is there a pattern of behavior that that should be concerning to a john jones and b the rest of us i think it's one of the things that has been interesting about john jones since he started out in the ufc was that he seems to be on this accelerated timeline his development was so much faster his rise to stardom so much faster why shouldn't his self-destruction be faster and then the redemption from that self-destruction he could pack it all in the full like life cycle of the the famous professional athlete he could pack it all in by his time he's 30 I mean, he could have the wisdom of like Muhammad Ali by the time he's forty. You so know, he could he could have that 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 kind of gravitas, which I think would be amazing. Why not? So you're saying that by Sunday he should be fighting Rico Rodriguez in <laughs> Israel fighting championships, and then by the following Saturday he'll be back in the UFC for his comeback fight against. You know, I think I I think a lot of people have said for a while now that the only thing that's going to beat John Jones, other than the natural decline of you know, age and some, if a new John Jones comes along, is John Jones himself. That kind of fame and success is hard to deal with, a lot harder to deal with than you know, when you're kind of struggling and, and you feel like you have to fight and claw for everything you get. John Jones has a lot of natural gifts. He's obviously developed it very well, but... That that kind of stuff is going to test him, I think, more than the actual fights are going to test him. I think that's what we're seeing right now. Uh, I think that makes it really interesting to watch if you you know if you can regard a man's life as some kind of Shakespearean goddamn tragedy. But uh, it, it 
I don't necessarily know if we ought to be jumping on it saying like, oh, John Jones needs to go to rehab or the UFC needs to do something or John Jones is killing the sport. I mean, he fucked up. He's a young guy. He made a mistake. He's going to deal with the consequences of that mistake. Um, hopefully it will serve as kind of a, a warning sign to him that just because you seem capable of crazy shit age, it doesn't mean that there are no consequences for others. You know, you're, you still can be fucked up by crashing your Bentley into a, a light pole. That's still going to be news. Sorry. And no reason to believe that he won't just simply smash Dan Henderson at UFC 150? No. 150, I think. Something like that. Yeah, no, it's, that's the thing. You hear that he, he smashed up his Bentley. Is he hurt? No? Okay, then he's still going to probably kick Dan Henderson's ass. You know, I, you, you don't really worry about that kind of stuff. He's never shown, at least so far, he, he really seems to enjoy training. He enjoys the gym, at least while he's under... Greg Jackson's watchful eye. You get the sense that Greg Jackson, much in the way, you know, a lovable high school guidance counselor could, can always sit you down and talk some sense into you. He always seems to know just what to say to people. So, you know, as long as he's around Greg, then you don't worry about him too much. It's between fights when you're kind of enjoying your celebrity and enjoying being famous that that you can kind of get into trouble. And he's not the only one. You know, it's just that sometimes that shit gets into the news and sometimes it doesn't. You crash your your car into a, a light pole, that shit's going to, people are going to talk about that. It doesn't make them haters just because they're talking about that. Some of them are haters, but, uh, you know, you're going to have to, it's like when I was in college once, a roommate of mine got drunk, threw up on a living room carpet, uh, and he cleaned it up, cleaned it up that night. You know, it's not like the apartment was spotless before that, but another one of our roommates kept giving him a hard time about it. And at one point, the original throwing up roommate kind of lost it. And he was like, look, I cleaned it up. I apologize. What else do you want? And the, the guy explained, I don't want anything. I, I accept that you cleaned it up and that you apologized. However, you're going to take some shit for this just for a little while. That's just the way it goes. The same thing with John Jones. You crash your Bentley into a light pole, you're going to take some shit for this. doesn't have to be lifelong shit. doesn't have to be an inordinate amount of shit, but you're going to take some shit. Just take the shit and move on to new shit. Did that guy who threw up on the carpet, did he ever get that Nike sponsorship that he wanted? <laughs> Unclear. I, I'm going to have to look him up on Facebook. Nike. I don't know if you saw this, but Jones, he sent out a tweet saying he was in Portland last week and that he had, had been there for a business meeting. And then right after he sent it, like five seconds later, he retweeted some Nike thing about inspirational sayings. And this was before he crashed. Yeah, his this Bentley was way before port, he crashed right? up his Bentley. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where we're at with that after the uh, Bentley crashing. Um, anything else you wanted to throw in there? Does that mean we're done? Does that, that mean- I think we're done. <sighs> I feel like this went pretty well. I think it went great. I mean, I would be surprised if if someone doesn't offer to sponsor us, if, if the, our inboxes don't fill up with, with sponsorship obligations and offers yeah. immediately. The best thing for us to do probably is to start spending that sponsorship money before we have it, I think. Oh, I've already begun. Yeah, yeah for sure. Let's go to the dealership right now. This is the co-main event podcast. That's Ben Folks. I'm Chad Dundas. This has been our first ever episode. If you made it this far, you're a saint, a princely man. Um, we'll be back next week to discuss the aftermath of UFC 146 and how either awesome or terrible it was. But for now, that's us, and we are out. Out. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Next time. I guess. <laughs>